Hello, friend. Thank you so much for joining us once again today. Will you very quickly find your place in the book of Esther, chapter 4? While you do that, let me tell you about a gospel tract I have with me right now called A Good Soldier But Lost. It's been a little while since I mentioned this one on the radio, and it fits so perfectly with where we will begin our Bible study, or probably more accurately, our preaching time today. A good soldier but lost tells us that a man named Captain Cornelius served in the Roman army. He was, the Bible says, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people. He was very charitable and prayed to God always. That's what God said about him. God says he was a good guy, but he was a good guy on his way to a devil's hell. You see, good works will not, cannot, have never saved you. We're going to talk about that a little more in just a moment, but if you'd like to get this gospel tract, if you'd like a very clear presentation of the gospel in about, I don't know, four or five hundred words or so, then go to BibleTracksInc.org right now and you can order this gospel tract, BibleTracksInc.org. Maybe, just maybe, it'll be a help to you in your witnessing, Christian friend. Maybe you need to tell others about the God that can save Maybe right now you're listening and you don't know Christ as Savior. Let's talk about that for a moment. Esther chapter number four, very quickly, let's remind ourselves, Esther is in a very precarious position. She has made the crazy, if you want to call it, decision, the foolish decision in the world's eyes to go unto the king unannounced, unsummoned, without invitation, and to plead for her people's lives. She's throwing herself on the mercy and grace of a man that history tells us was not very merciful or graceful in any way. She's going to her husband, asking him, please, my people. She hasn't talked to him. She hasn't been called to him in a month now. And now she's deciding to lay it all on the line. Verse number 16, she says, if I perish, I perish. Why is she doing it though? What changed her mind from verse number 11 of chapter 4 when she says, I have not been called, I can't go, to verse number 16 where she says, fast, pray for me, I'm going to do this thing in three days' time. What changed her mind? Well, we discussed yesterday that she realized her people were condemned. We talked about the fact that humanity is also condemned. The fires of hell are burning as we speak whereby one man sin entered into the world, death and hell. I've got to ask you, do we really believe that? Do we really think that death and hell are burning right now? Do we really believe that there is a literal place of fire reserved for the devil and his angels, but always growing, always ready for one more lost soul? If we did, I wonder if it would motivate us to actually start carrying gospel tracts. I wonder if we'd be a little more intentional about that. Why did she change her mind? She realized her people were condemned strictly because of who they were, because they had a wicked adversary. And let's pick up right now. They were condemned because they were helpless. They had the combined might of the greatest army in the known world, on their necks. The Jewish people were not the world superpower at this time. They 
were effectively, in many cases, nothing better than slaves. And when this decree of destruction went out, this decree, procured by bribery in one sense, from a hateful man named Haman, who was effectively the prime minister, very, very powerful government official. When this decree came down, the Jews had no recourse but to fast, to pray, to put on sackcloth and say, God, please save us. Well, God, I'll let the cat out of the bag, he would save them, but he wanted to use a young woman, possibly still a teenager, a young lady named Esther, and she turns out, was willing to be used. What changed her mind? She realized her people were helpless. They could not help themselves. May I apply that to where you and I live right now, my friend? We are helpless to enter heaven by ourselves. I just had the opportunity to, to witness to, to talk to via text, a young man named Brandon from Pennsylvania. Brandon, if you're listening right now, thank you so much for giving me of your time and allowing, uh, allowing the Bible to work on you. I won't get into the backstory, but I'll be honest with you. Brandon, to some degree, was trusting works for salvation. And he came to the realization that the gift of salvation, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I recall not long ago, I was out soul winning or door knocking, inviting people to church. We were actually at a church in Illinois, a missions conference. I had the opportunity over the weekend on Saturday to go up with some of the church folks and invite folks to come to the church services. And as is often the possibility, I was able to turn the conversation away from church attendance and say something like, you know, friend, more important than where you go to church is where you'll spend eternity. Now, for those of you listening, that's a great transition phrase. If you're talking to someone about church membership and church attendance, turn things higher. Let's talk about heaven. God forbid something were to happen to you, friend. Do you know for sure where you would go? In talking to those people, we were out for, it was cold that day. We were out for barely an hour, maybe just a shade over an hour. Talked to many people, but four distinctly that I recall. Talked to those people and each one of them, it turns out, was trusting works. They thought they could be good enough. Even after I explained, why would God send his son to die? Why would he call it a gift for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth. It doesn't say that whosoever worketh hard. It doesn't say for whosoever goes to church. It doesn't say for whosoever is a good person. It doesn't say for whosoever helps an elderly woman across the street with a good attitude. No, no. It says for whosoever believeth. Friend, let me ask you right now. Have you ever believed? Have you ever confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, that Jesus Christ is alive and well, that he died for you, but he rose again on the third day? That is, in, its, in a nutshell, the gospel. If you're trusting anything besides that, if you're trusting a, a second indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if you're trusting the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you're trusting in your good works or the fact that your parents told you a long time ago that you prayed a prayer and you must be saved, but you have no recollection of it whatsoever, and you're just trusting in your good works to get you entrance, and you think when you get to St. Peter at the pearly gates, you can say, well, hey, I've been a pretty good person. You know what the Bible has to say about that? 
He says, the God says that your righteousness, the best you've ever done, just pile up all the good works that you have, all those things you'd be proud of. The Bible says those are as filthy rags. I I really don't have time for this right now, but I'm going to explain what the Bible's talking about when it says filthy rags. I remember as a kid, I'd help my dad out with his uh, with with mechanical stuff, you know, working on the car. It seems like we only uh, the only time I remember working on the car, you know, I was a flashlight holder, you know, the designated guy, and I, I never had the flashlight in the right place. I was never pointing it at the right place. Micah, point it over here. Micah, point it over here. Right. I remember my dad would always get all greasy, right? Maybe he's doing the brakes. Maybe he's doing tie rods. Maybe he's doing, you name it, an oil change. Of course, oil change, you're going to end up greasy. And he'd have those grease rags, right? He'd try to wipe his hands enough that he could still get a firm grip on his tools. And I've all, I have thought for a long time that that is what the Bible was talking about when it said filthy rags. I would look at those grease rags. I don't want to touch those, right? I'm going to go inside, get warm, wash my hands, and eat dinner. That's what I want to do. That's not what the Bible's talking about. I want you to imagine a leprous man, a leper. I want you to imagine, I want you to look him in the eye right now. I want you to see the crust that's formed across his eyebrows. I want you to look very carefully at the fact that it appears he's missing his nose, just two holes where his nose is supposed to be, lips almost completely gone. What is there is crusted over with some kind of slime. And I want you to see the open sores on his hands, on his exposed face. And I want you to see the pus coming out of those sores. And I want you to see those beggar's rags that he's wrapped in, yellowed and stained, where that pus has weeped and dried, and weeped again, and dried again. And then I want you to think about what the Bible's talking about when it says filthy rags. And I want you to really realize that when the Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags, that's what God was talking about. You have nothing. I have nothing to hang our hats on. We are helpless before an almighty God, and nothing we can do can save ourselves except one thing, except a free gift of salvation. For God, the greatest being, so loved, the greatest emotion, the world, the greatest object of love that he gave. His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, you and I are helpless. Now, Christian friend, I want you to think about this. Does the fact that the entirety of the world, lost in their sins, could slip off into eternity right now, does it bother you? Does it bother you enough that you just might change your mind? What do I mean? When was the last time you actually carried a gospel tract with you? When was the last time you got over yourself 
and your quote unquote introverted ten- tendencies and the shyness that you've been hanging hanging your excuses on for years and years. When are you going to change your mind about all that and say, you know what, the Great Commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. People are helpless. People are condemned. People have an evil adversary, the devil. They're going to hell, and I've got to do something about it. I'll be honest. I thought I was going to get a whole lot further into this outline today. But I think God had for us what we needed, what I needed. I needed that reminder. If you don't know Christ, or if you need to tell someone about Christ, make a commitment today. Would you text me? Here's my cell number. I'm going to give it to you one time real slow. Here we go. 309-316-7240. Have a great day for his glory. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Bible Tract Echoes, a ministry of Bible Tracks Incorporated. If you would like to receive a free sample packet of all of our tracks, you can contact us by calling 309-828-6888. That's 309-828-6888. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 188, Bloomington, Illinois, 61702. A faster way to contact us is to go to our website at BibleTracksInc.org. That's BibleTracksInc.org. There you will find more information about our ministry and details on how you can support Bible Tracks Incorporated. Thanks for listening, and may the Lord richly bless you as you serve Him.